0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand. This aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. You smell what Barack is cooking. You didn't build that. Give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll I'll even kiss the men. I'll kiss those big, powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I'm the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your industry malcontent, ATM of reckless opinion. Actually, I don't even know if aforementioned is correct. I don't think the, um, I don't think the, uh, the intro says my name at present, so um, I may not say aforementioned. But I am, in fact, Jordan Driscoll. Welcome to context is for kings. Still, the ATM of reckless opinion. So as always, grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into it. And tonight I've got some uh, some very tasty uh, Jamaican Blue Mountain. Oh yeah! Really get into the spirit of you know being outside of the U.S. for this episode. All right. So a little bit of housekeeping before we dive into it. First off, just as a reminder, when this episode drops, I will be attending NAEP. This should drop around February seventh. Uh, which should be about the starting day of NAEP. So hopefully I'll see you guys there. Um, if you're free, then please, um, please come by and see me. I'll be spending some, uh, some time uh, at the uh, OGGN booth where I'll be doing a live recording. So swing by and say hey. And if I'm not there, then I'm probably at the Petroledger Financial Services booth which will be somewhere in Nape. If I were better prepared, I would sure have a booth number for you. But either way, Petroledger or OGGN, come find me if you're one of the loyal 15. And, um, yeah, yeah, we'll have a chit-chat. All right. Also of note, uh, there is now, if you can believe it, show swag. You can now go buy a Context Is For Kings coffee mug from the OGGN store. There'll be a link in the show notes if you're interested in that. If for some reason you feel like you need a coffee mug with my mug on it, there you go. It'll actually have the show art with the stained glass thing going on and be a lot of fun. Um, Also... If you listen to uh, the most recent episode, or at least as of the time I'm recording this, a recent episode of Delfina's podcast, ESG Energized, where she has Joe Batir on, you will hear some trash talk from The Rock Doc about me not being able to pull off a bow tie. And let me just be clear. Obviously, I can pull off a bow tie. Nobody could wear a bow tie better than me. When I wear a bow tie, it's big league, okay? So just don't let The Rock Doc trick you, Okay. I could rock a bow tie, no problem. All right, so let's just put that to bed, done and dusted. And lastly, as always, if you're enjoying the show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review. And if you don't like the show, then go find a podcast you like. Life's too short to listen to something you don't like. You're not going to hurt my feelings, just go for it. But if you are enjoying it, please, rating and review helps us out. Really love that. Thank you so much. Okay. So let's get into our story for tonight. So one of the loyal 15, Jennifer, who I met at Paige Wilson's birthday party a couple weeks ago, uh, wrote in and gave me a special request that I do an episode on Mexico, which has led me to create a new miniseries, sort of in the same vein as my infamous scandals or fireside chat episodes. But we're going to call this one Let's Get to Know and then just insert the name of some place that I find particularly interesting in that given week. So tonight, let's get to know Mexico. So, as far as most of uh, Americans think of Mexico, if you're a college student, you think of Mexico as that place you go to get alcohol poisoning and die on spring break. If you're Donald Trump, you think of Mexico as a place that really enjoys building walls. And if you're me, I like to think of Mexico as spicy Canada. So, let's start, as I often like to, with an embarrassingly short history of Mexico. The indigenous peoples, the Mesoamericans, developed several major civilizations across what is modern-day Mexico and beyond. You had the Olmax, who seemed to originate in sort of the Atlantic coast near modern-day Tabasco, no, not the sauce, and spread out from there. Then you had the Maya, who stretched from the Pacific coast of the southern uh, modern Mexican nation all the way to Guatemala and into the northern Yucatan Peninsula. And they built many large temples and complexes you can see today. I've been to several of them. Uh, Then you had the Teotihuacan. Uh, I actually can't pronounce this one. Um, T E O T I H U A C A N. Uh, as anybody who knows my Spanish and Mesoamerican uh, dialects suffer greatly, and I'm just going to go ahead and apologize to my uh, Spanish-speaking and Mexican audience. My Spanish sucks. I know this. We all know this. It's been well-documented by, uh, by Delfina and by me just butchering your language. So. I'm just going to give a blanket apology right now for any and everything I'm going to mispronounce in this episode. Uh, It's entirely my own incompetence, but certainly nothing um, intended to be disrespectful. But moving right along. So the T.O.T. Huacan which I'm probably not doing correctly there. Uh, they're sort of in the Valley of Mexico, which is the central highlands where modern-day Mexico City is, as well as the state of Hidalgo, uh Uh, Puebla and a few others that I can't even make an attempt at pronouncing. Then there was the Toltec, who eventually gave way to the Aztecs, who were sort of in the southern-central part of Mexico. And you've all heard of the Aztecs. You know them. They're famous for their calendar. The Aztecs are famous for their massive temples and pyramids, which are uh, still very impressive to this day. And, of course, they're famous for convincing lots of yippee yuppie conspiracy theorists that the world was going to end in 2012, although... Actually, they might have been right about that. I think a good argument could be made that the world did, in fact, end in 2012. I mean, think about it. 2012 movies, uh, Star Wars movies after 2012 sucked— Lord of the Rings movies after 2012 sucked. Elon Musk used to be cool. Then he went insane and bought Twitter. Amber Heard used to be hot. Then she went crazy. The sort of Joe Biden as president. He's locked in endless battle for election with the perpetual indictment machine known as Donald Trump. These are our leaders. I mean, truly, the world might have actually ended in 2012, and we're all just stuck in some sort of a hellscape purgatory. If you look at the last 12 years... Tell me I'm wrong. But anyway, the Aztecs also gave us my favorite Mesoamerican mythical deity, the feathered serpent snake bird deity Quetzalcoatl, or as I like to affectionately call him, Crazy Q. Now, Quetzalcoatl was the mythical deity of the Aztecs for wind, the arts, crafts, knowledge, and learning, which are some of my favorite things. And if you haven't seen a picture of Crazy Q, then I advise you to pause the show and go look it up. Absolutely batshit insane. Even the spelling of Quetzalcoatl flies in the face of everything we know about vowels, consonants, and how languages formed. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm officially declaring from this moment forward, Quetzalcoatl is the official mythical patron deity of this program. So welcome aboard, Crazy Q. We're glad to have you. Anyway, between building massive and impressive temples and structures unlike anywhere else in the New World, and, of course, the odd virgin sacrifice to make sure that the sun would keep coming up when things uh, you know, were looking a little sour, for the most part, life was good for the Aztecs, the Mayans, and all the others, at least up until 1942 when Columbus would sail the ocean blue. By 1943, Columbus landed on the uh, Caribbean island of... Hispanolia and would set off uh, one of the largest blood-soaked gold rushes in human history. The Spanish saw the New World as ripe for the taking, plentiful population who lacked advanced technology, uh, vast, nay, Seemingly endless natural resources and rumors of cities made out of solid gold—what wasn't to love about the New World? The motto of the Spanish conquest could be best summed up in three words, by their own admission: gold, glory, and God. Um, also, I do think that happens to be um, the—and if it's not, it should be—the motto of the modern Republican Party. I think that knocks it out pretty well. At any rate. Conquistadors, the Spanish soldiers of fortune who were looking to make money and own some land, flooded into the New World, doing the favorite pastime of all European nations of that day and age um, that wanted to be taken seriously, and that was going around conquering shit. Uh, Cortez, who conquered the Aztec Empire, well, Aztec Empire, while uh, Francisco Pizarro conquered the Inca in South America. And of course, let's talk about the diseases. The Europeans brought with them a lot of different diseases. And in a sort of war war of the world's twist. Uh, Over the course of the conquest, some 80% of the native population would be wiped out from the droves of illnesses which the indigenous peoples had no defense. Uh, Of course, one of the big factors was bubonic plague and smallpox, which ravaged the local populations. That is, when the conquistadors weren't gunning them down and taking over their cities and burning them. At any rate, by 1521, Spanish forces had seized control of modern-day Mexico and expanded all the way up to what we now today know as Texas, California, New Mexico, and a whole lot of the modern U.S. West. And they even creatively named this whole new conquered region New Spain. Naturally, the Catholic Church wasn't far behind, setting up local missions and giving the natives a choice accept the loving embrace of Jesus into your hearts or die. Unsurprisingly, with that as your marketing campaign, Christianity really got a, a good head start and really took off in the New World. Anyway, Spain set up a viceroy, a person appointed by the Spanish crown to rule. New Spain as a colony under the greater Spanish Empire. Uh, However, there were seeds of discord developing. A strict class system was starting to evolve, where Iberian-born Spaniards were at the top of the social and political food chain, followed by Mexican-born Spaniards, followed by mixed-race Spaniards who had intermingled with the locals, followed by uh, the purely local people, and at the bottom of the food chain were slaves imported from Africa. It was all getting very messy. To add to it, New Spain was the primary source of wealth for the Spanish Empire at large, which was unsurprisingly starting to cause some resentment with the people in modern-day Mexico. By the early 1800s, we start to see some significant changes in the geopolitical situation. A coup in Spain resulted in the then-sitting viceroy being replaced with an illegitimate viceroy appointed from the illegitimate monarch in Spain, which triggered a guerrilla insurgency by loyalists to the original Spanish crown. Another coup in Spain uh, resulted in the previously conservative loyalists in New Spain, i.e. Mexico, deciding that, you know what, they were less interested in these Game of Thrones politics and drama happening in the old world, and instead they started to think that, hey, what the hell, maybe Mexico should just pull a United States and pursue independence from their colonial overseers. Within six months, royal rule in New Spain collapsed and independence was achieved. Now, some in Mexico argued for a local monarchy to be set up, but others pushed for a democracy somewhat similar to what the United States had in the North. Ultimately, the military officer who overthrew the viceroy, uh, Augustin de uh, Iturbide sorry if I mispronounce that uh, we'll just call him Augustin at this point. Anyways, he seized control of the fledgling government and held an election where he was voted in, not as the king because that would be uh that'd be that everybody's got a king who cares about that. No. He was voted in as the emperor in 1821. Yes, the emperor of Mexico. Now, it isn't clear if this was at the insistence of the people or simply him taking advantage of a chaotic situation. Either way, in 21 when he was crowned, the Empire of Mexico was formed. And it was a massive country. Just to give you An idea of how big we're talking. The Empire of Mexico ran all the way from Panama in the south, all the way up into North America to Oregon. That's a lot of land. That is a huge country. Now, the rule of uh, Emperor Augustine was, in fact, quite short. Uh, Being a monarchy in the New World meant relations with the U.S. were strained, let's say. The U.S. was the first and one of the few countries in the world willing to recognize Mexico's independence, but most of the European nations refused to recognize Mexico because Spain made it very clear they intended to reconquer it eventually, although they did never get around to that Directly. Meanwhile, Emperor Augustine might have been a military leader, but running an economy wasn't really his strong suit. As the economy tanked, he decided to save money by doing the obvious smart move and stopping all pay to the military. And when the press criticized his rule, he had the press censored. By 1823, the Mexican Congress had had enough of him and decided they wanted a full republic. And Santa Ana, a general in the now unpaid army among others, started a revolt to remove Augustine. When he marched on Mexico City, Santa Ana that is, Augustine realized that he was totally screwed and abdicated and then fled in exile to Europe. At this point, the first Mexican Republic was founded in 1824. Unfortunately, this would only last to 1835. mere 11 years. Guadalupe Victoria, hero of the Mexican War for Independence, would be elected as the first president. Now, Central America, which had been under the Mexican Empire during this time, decided this was their stop. They declared independence for both Mexico and any European power, and would be the first in the swath of lands controlled by Mexico that would start to break away. Now, Guadalupe Victoria was the only president in the first Mexican Republic to serve his entire term and peacefully transfer power, uh, which he did in 1829. In 1830, 1833, and 1834, the presidents of the first Mexican Republics were Mexican Republic were overthrown by coups. By 1835, Santa Ana would take the government and reorganize it into the Centralist Mexican Republic as he felt that the individual Mexican states had too much power and that this was the cause for the economy being in the toilet. But the Centralist Mexican Republic would only last until 1846, in and of itself only another 11 years or so. But in those 11 years, a lot of shit would happen. In 1836, those damn Texans would up and declare independence, fighting a conflict with Mexico in order to successfully do so. Then from 1838 to 1839, there was the Pastry War, also known as the first French intervention between Mexico and France. And then in 1841, the Yucatan Peninsula decided to declare independence. And then in 1846, there was the Mexican-American War that would kick off and last until 1848, the Treaty of uh, Guadalupe Hidalgo, ending that war after the U.S. seized control of Mexico City. And yes, for those of you uh, Americans in my audience, yes, during the Mexican-American War, uh, the U.S. actually managed to go all the way south and seize control of Mexico City. That was in September of 47. Now, uh, the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo uh, would, among other things, forgive the three and a quarter million dollars in debt Mexico owed the U.S. government, and the U.S. agreed to pay 15 million dollars to the cash-strapped Mexican government in exchange for wartime damages they had caused, but also for the purchase of a little bit of land. That little bit of land is what today would be known as California, New Mexico, Utah, Nevada, Arizona, Colorado, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and Wyoming. And for those of you who are not uh, U.S. members of the audience, you um, the shorthand to that is, that's a shit ton, a metric shit ton of current-day U.S. states and a hell of a lot of land. So, $15 million, one of the best investments the federal government's ever made. Might be the last good investment the federal government in the U.S. has ever made, honestly. Um, boy, I wish they were, um, they were more careful with their money these days and were smarter about it, but what are you going to do? And lastly, the treaty stipulated that Mexico would agree to recognize Texas as part of the United States officially, which up until this point they had still sort of alleged that, um, you know, Texas was basically just a breakaway uh, Taiwan-like province that they were going to have back. At any rate, the Centralist Republic of Mexico then proceeded to collapse after, war we- after and during the war with the U.S., and at this point, the Second Federal Republic of Mexico was founded in 1846 but it too would be short-lived. You see, Mexico would continue to rack up considerable debts during this time, and despite the influx of cash from the United States, uh, within a mere 15 years, by the 1860s, it had hit a financial crisis and proceeded to default on their national debt. Fucking hell, guys. At any rate, this time it was the French who decided that um, they were operating a Sopranos-like family, and uh, the French motto at the time was fuck you, pay me. So they declared war on Mexico and decided to invade Mexico to get their money. The British, who always love a good colonial war as much as the next European nation, and Spain, who was still spoiling for a fight with Mexico, they all decided to dogpile on, and the French, British, and Spanish proceeded to invade Mexico. Now, the Second Franco-Mexican War lasted from, in totality, 1861 to 1867. It was a uh, kind of a wild time. Now, I can't get too bogged down here, but uh, what I can say is, uh, basically, the French invaded ostensibly to get their money. But by 1864, they had conquered most of central Mexico, and they decided, you know what, lads? We kind of like it here. So the French emperor at the time, Napoleon III, decides that what he's going to do is install a monarch in Mexico and make it a sort of part of the larger French empire. So you may be asking yourselves, who would Napoleon possibly decide should be on the throne as the new emperor of Mexico? Take a guess. I'll wait. A Spanish ally, perhaps? I mean, goodness knows, they probably had some spare Spanish nobles floating around. Those were their new allies at the time. That would make sense. Um, No, possibly. What about perhaps a prominent local-born Mexican? You know, someone with some real influence and some status among the people that could unite everyone behind this new empire allied with France. That might make sense. Or what about option number three? Some random fucking Austrian archduke. I'll let you take a minute and ponder that while I have a sip of my coffee. Mmm. Which one is it? Well, if you guessed some random Austrian fucking Archduke, uh, then yes, you'd be correct. So Napoleon, who I assume was just drunk off his tits on Merlot, found Archduke Maximilian of Austria and carted him off to Mexico City and crowned him as Emperor of the Second Mexican Empire because, well, you know, why the fuck wouldn't this guy be the Emperor of Mexico? Now... During most of this conflict, the United States was busy with its own civil war, so their response up until this point was to give the French a stern, disapproving nod, but otherwise do fuck all. But by 1865, the U.S. Civil War was done and dusted, and they decided that they weren't going to have a second round of Mexican empire sitting on their doorstep. So the U.S. decided to refuse to recognize Maximilian as the emperor and instead decided to insist on saying the Mexican Republic was still the legitimate government. Furthermore, the U.S. offered a $30 million loan to help fund the Mexican president in exile, Benito Juarez, on his fight with the French. Meanwhile, in Europe, the French were gearing up for a war with Prussia, and they needed all the resources they could get, and quite frankly, they were getting sick and tired of sinking money into this increasingly hostile Mexican insurgents. So France redeployed their forces and left Maximilian in Mexico City and basically said, well, you're emperor now, so best of luck to you. Fuck off. Bye. Ciao. Uh, Au revoir. Needless to say, by 1867, the Republican forces retook the capital of Mexico, captured Emperor Maximilian, and he was summarily executed by firing squad. This poor, dumb Austrian bastard gets roped into being the emperor of Mexico by Napoleon, carted halfway across the world, all the way across the world, only to a couple of years later end up getting shot by firing squad. And he didn't even speak the fucking language. He he knew as much Spanish as I do do, which is not a lot. Amazing. Simply stunning. Anyway, a new uh, Republican government was established under Juarez called the United Mexican States. And guess what? Democracy's back, baby. They got it. Well, for a few years anyway. You see, uh, less than a decade later, by 1876, uh, General Porfino Diaz was elected as president and would continue... Uh, to be elected for the next six elections back-to-back, although uh, let's just say those elections were starting to get increasingly—they were starting to look a little bit more like something out of the Soviet Union, you know what I mean? Uh, While Diaz's years were good for the economy and saw a lot of technological and social advancement, Diaz was also perfectly willing to clamp down and use force when necessary to both keep his grip on power and move society along in the direction that he thought it should be moving in. By 1910, Diaz refused to step down, and there was no clear plan on who would succeed him. succeed him. And the Mexican people had decided to revolt, kicking off the Mexican Revolution, which would last from 1911 to 1920. Now, the Mexican Revolution saw huge changes socially, economically, and politically for the Mexican nation. And keep in mind, while the Mexican Revolution was happening, so was World War I. And there was even a U.S. military intervention by the United States Army to chase down Pancho Villa, who had previously crossed the border and invaded Columbus, New Mexico. The intervention was ordered by, of course, our boy, Woodrow fucking Wilson, who never met a foreign entanglement he didn't like. And don't worry, we'll have another Woodrow Wilson hate episode in April, rest assured. At any rate, even Germany got somewhat involved with the infamous Zimmerman Telegram, which is where the German government tried to convince the Mexican government to invade the United States in exchange for Texas and the other southwest states, which had been sold to the U.S. previously, to be returned to Mexico in the event of a German-Mexican victory in the war. Now, of course, the Mexican government declined, and eventually the German telegram was leaked, helping to prompt the previously neutral United States into getting involved in World War I against the Germans. So... That didn't really work out for the Kaiser quite as planned, did it? At any rate, back in Mexico in 1917, a constitution would be formed, and by 1920, a government would more or less be reestablished with some level of control over the country in a more centralized fashion. From 1920 to 1940s would be what history has called the revolutionary presidents, men who had fought in the revolution uh, in Mexico and by hook or by crook assumed control of the government. Presidential elections during this time were shaky at best and transfers of power were not always what you might call peaceful. Of course, Given Mexican history, this isn't exactly a new phenomenon. By 1929, the National Revolutionary Party was founded to try and create some level of political stability and a platform for a lot of these guys to work out some sort of a long-term plan and how to successfully do leadership transfers without all the bloodshed. And eventually, that would be rebranded into the Institutional Revolutionary Party. And as we wind down for the evening, and I can just tell you, Mexican history is fascinating and deserves probably a second part. So if you do want me to do a second part of this, please let me know, covering pretty much the 1940s to current. There's a ton of stuff here that I wanted to hit that I've just sort of run out of time on, things like the nationalization of the Mexican petroleum industry and uh, the drug cartel wars and all of these kinds of things, things that are really useful to know and give us context for the Mexico of today. But I did want to leave or end with this thought why is the transfer of power such an issue in mexico now understand of course that i'm not mexican i've been to mexico several times and have enjoyed my time there but i can't profess to truly know the the people the culture and the history as much as a native mexican i'm just some gringo with some opinions here but i do have an opinion for what it's worth Here's the thing. In a lot of key ways, the United States and Mexico, the United States being my my home country, have a lot of similarities. They are both part of the new world. They both had vast amounts of natural resources and temperate climates. They uh, were both colonized by European powers that uh, dominated and effectively assimilated or drove out the indigenous peoples. They've got a lot of this history. Both nations had to fight for their independence against a colonial power that was not very keen on that happening. So how is it these two nations had such different directions when it came to establishing a governor? Mexico's had two or three or four rounds of an attempted republic. You've got at least two empires that have uh, tried to emerge in Mexico and tons upon tons upon tons of coups and uh, less than peaceful transfers of power between presidents. And, of course, modern-day Mexico, that's a bit of a different story. We'll get to that in a part two. But why is it historically these two had such a different path in this regard? And I don't know that my theory here is correct or even close to accurate, but I'll throw my theory out and, and, and tell me what you think. But there's something to be said for the countries that colonized our respective nations, Right the U.S. and Mexico, I'll speak to specifically. With the United States, the 13 colonies and what would eventually become the United States were colonized by England, Great Britain. And while both of them were monarchies, the British had already started a process of creating a democracy. It was more of a constitutional monarchy um, than it was a absolute monarchy. Uh, the call of no taxation without representation in the U.S. Revolutionary War is more of a call not for the tyranny of King George, but more or less the lack of Americans' ability to be recognized or have a representation in the British Parliament. It was just a colony. British Parliament was not a place where the colonies were going to be uh, going up there and speaking and getting what they wanted. And so... There was already a, a history of democracy and a history of uh, democratization that was happening within uh, Great Britain, even though it was technically a monarchy. It was not an absolute monarchy, and the U.S. basically took that concept of uh, the democracy that it was inheriting from Great Britain and simply added on to it. It took out that uh, you know that hereditary figure and and create an executive branch from that separate. But with Mexico, my theory is that Spain was much more of an absolute monarchy during the time. There wasn't anything with the power or scope of British Parliament within the Spanish monarchy or the Spanish government at the time. As a result, there's sort of this strong tradition of there's always being a strong person at the top running things. Um, and you can see this in a lot of places where democracy has struggled to take off. To a much more extreme version of this, look at Iraq or look at Afghanistan, places where the U.S. has attempted to do nation-building. We see how well that's worked. And why has it not worked well? Because you tried to install democracy in a place that has no concept of, demo- of democracy, in a place where uh, tribe and family and these things matter way more than the idea of voting and having a a leadership of the collective people deciding who that leader should be or electing a representative for themselves. Not to say that these ideas can't eventually take root and develop there, but you can't go into that kind of a culture and just assume it's going to work automatically. With the Americans, I think that was an idea that had already taken root with the concept of the Magna Carta and the British monarchy and common law. Whereas with Spain, it was still very much operating like a despotic monarchy at the time the king or queen at the top was the power the viceroy in new spain was the power and so there was always this tension between those who wanted some kind of mexican democracy and those who wanted a strong leader who could just whip things into order and their word was law now that's just my opinion i don't know if that's at all true if that's uh even relevant but that's just my reading of Mexican history up to this point, that's kind of what it makes me wonder if that's sort of why there's such a difference in transfer of power is the cultural background of the countries that were originally the colonizers of our respective nations. Uh, for any of my Mexican brethren and sistren in, in the audience, I would love it if you would write me in and let me know if if I'm close to the money on this, if that makes sense, or if I'm just dead wrong, which I well could be. Um, I would love to hear your your thoughts on that. Um, For the rest of my audience, I would encourage you to look into Mexican history and also travel to Mexico uh, if you ever get the chance to. I've been there a number of times. It's a beautiful country. Mexican history is really funny because it's incredibly colorful. I mean, what other nation in North America has been a republic multiple times, been an empire multiple times? It's been invaded by the U.S., by the French, by the Spanish, by... (laughs) you know uh the british i mean they've they've you know all of these things um all of this crazy stuff has happened multiple coups multiple governments and all of this sort of thing i mean yes things with the mexican government have are far less dramatic these days which is to mexico's credit but mexican history is is so much more colorful and rich than you might think i mean It just is. You should check it out. And some of the buildings you can see in places like Mexico City, where, hell, Maximilian's castle is there. The man wasn't in power for more than, what, three years, and he still managed to build a medieval castle for himself to rule from? I mean, that's just wild. At any rate, it's definitely worth looking into if you're at all interested in history— Mexican history is a wild ride and it's it's worth checking out and um, and I can say just if you get a chance to go down there I mean one <laughs> the best Mexican food you're gonna get and um, two the people are friendly and it's it's just a fun place to go you know get away from the beaches get away from the um, the uh, the the God what's that place where everybody goes for spring break? I can't remember it, Cozumel, whatever it is, I, I can't think of it now, but get away from there. Go to Mexico City. Go to some of those places where there's just a ton of history and uh, surprisingly, a lot of tie back to European history, what with everything that, that's happened in you know the Mexican Valley. Uh, get out there and give it a shot. And uh, Like I said, for my Mexican audience, let me know if my theories are even close to right or if they make any kind of sense or you know, tell me what the deal is. Love to hear from you guys. Um, let me know if uh, you guys like this idea for a, for a format for an occasional show That I'll do as a special You know, the um, let's get to know a place And if there are any countries that You want me to do a deep dive on Please, by all means, write in and let me know And I'll put this in sort of the rotation of shows that we do I hope to see you guys at NAEP Let me know what you think of this one And uh, this is Jordan Driscoll reminding you Vive la Mexico See you guys in the next one Join us again next week on Context is for Kings, an OGGN production. To learn more, go to OGGN.com.